Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to week two of Advent. Our reading this morning is a snapshot at this one little word, love. It will be in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 29. And if you want to look at it with me, it begins in verse 13. The story goes, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, Laban hurried to meet Jacob. Laban embraced Jacob and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with Laban for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? I tell you what, tell me what your wages should be. Now, by the way, isn't that a great boss? You tell me what you think you're worth. And he says this. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, (laughs) I'll work for you for seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than some other man, so stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. This is God's word. As we come into this, the second week of our season of Advent, you say, why are we looking at something so old, something so ancient, if this season is about Jesus? And the answer is, throughout the lineage of Jesus, we get snapshots, little moments that characterize what Christ will be, but he will be even better than what we see in these moments. Now, we're in the season, like I said, called Advent, which comes from a Latin word, Adventus, which means coming or arrival. Everybody say this word, coming. Ready? Very good. Advent is the season, four weeks before Christmas, that for almost, well, about 1,500 years, Christians and those who love Jesus have remembered the coming of Christ as a baby. And they remember that God kept his promise. You need to know, church, you serve a promise-keeping God. But not only did he come, this is the season for four weeks where we as Christians remember he came as a baby and he will come again, not as a helpless little one, but as the conquering king bringing righteousness and holiness and order and justice to this world. Can I get an amen? So that is the season that we're in. And today, like we said, is all about love. And so we're looking at this text, which is ultimately a love story. In fact, as we talk about love, there are perhaps few things that are so misunderstood in our culture as much as this one word. We often will conflate ideas. We'll say things like, well, I love pizza, and then we'll say, and I love my wife. And certainly, we don't mean the same thing. Correct, men? Just just a little head nod would be good right now. If you need to give your wife a little bump, say, of course, baby, you're not, mm, you're better than pizza. A steak? Eh, Okay, but I mean, just, okay, this is your moment. We see this word so often misused and misunderstood, and so this is a moment, I think, that God, as we come into this season, that God wants to redefine both what we understand and what we expect 
from love. And this text gives us this beautiful picture. And here's the big idea this morning. If you're taking notes, I'm going to invite you. Here's your big idea. I'm going to give it to you now so you can go back to sleep. Or if you're like me and you're late on your shopping, you can go ahead and finish your Amazon account. It's okay. But let me give you the real quick thing. Here it is. If you love well, you will live well. Here's the big idea. If you love well, you will live well. You and I both know people who have all the toys, but they have no one to share the toys with, and they have a small, selfish, often insignificant life, don't they? And yet we know other people who have someone or someones to love, and although they may not have much stuff, they are the richest people we know. You remember the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? How many of you have already seen it this season? Have any of you yet seen it? How many of you know you will see it at some point over the next year? Or next year, good grief, next three weeks, hopefully. And you have this wonderful story of George Bailey, this man who wants to get out of town, wants to go see the world, wants to do all these things, but because of circumstances, he has been sucked into a situation that he does not want to be in. And if you've not seen it yet, guys, it's been out for like a million years, so I'm going to ruin it for you. The end of the movie is he finds out that he has all he needs. He is the richest man because of who he loves And who loves him back? In other words, if you love well, church, you will live well. And so I just want to walk through a couple verses this morning, and I want to show you what loving well looks like. It's three things, and you can get them all from one verse, verse 18. Here's a picture of love. If you want to write this down, I'm going to give you three points up front, and then I'll explain them. But here, do you notice three things? It says, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. So you have three things. Loving well means that you have someone to love. But it also means that it takes some work, doesn't it? And loving well also means that it takes some time. So you need someone, and it takes some work, and it takes some time. Let's just walk through this. This is obvious, but I don't want anyone to miss this. Many people love something and they do not love someone. But you need to know that the biblical picture of love, when it speaks of the love someone has for another or uh, any definition of love, it is almost always tied to another person. Certainly, God's love is always tied to someone or someones, not something necessarily. The people who have true love who are loving well, have someone on which to cast their love. So quick question for you this morning. If I were to say fill in the blank, who do you love? Whose name would you put on that blank? Who's that person that you genuinely care for, that you think about, that you are concerned with their well-being, that when you're around them, they make you better, or even when they don't. How many of you have little kids? We do this every week, but how many of you have little kids? Let's see some hands. Do you have enough energy to raise your hands if you have little kids? Because when you have little kids, sometimes you give love, but you say, man, there's nothing coming, but you still have a someone. Loving well means you have someone. Second thing, though, is that loving well, it means it's going to take some work, isn't it? Love is not simply a word, it is an action. I love what Jeff was saying during communion this morning about that. That love is not simply something we think or feel or a word we say. Love takes work. If you were Jacob, let's just talk for a moment. 
You show up, and when we come into this story, Jacob has just run away from his home because he stole and he lied, and now his older brother wants him dead. And we don't have time to get into all the wherefores in the house, but the first thing you need to know, he runs to his uncle Laban, and he sees his uncle Laban, and he's like, man, I want to stay with you, Laban. You're my favorite uncle. Could I, could I just hang out, and maybe we could do this inside and not out in the open because I got someone after me. He shows up. And by the way, some of you need to know that Jacob, man, he has a past. Maybe you don't need to hear anything about love this morning. Maybe all you need to hear is that God only uses people with pasts. And if you don't have a past, then God can't use you. But good news, every one of us in this room has a past, which means that your past is not more powerful than God's plan for your life. He shows up, he sees two girls, an older and younger. The older's not as attractive, the younger sister, Rachel. She's beautiful, and he's like, I tell you what, I'll work for her. And you say, well, what's he going to do? Well, he's going to work in the fields. And you've got to know that there are days that he was not interested in hanging out with a sheep all day. Have you ever smelled a sheep before? They have a distinct aroma. Not pleasant always. Or you know he doesn't want to necessarily every morning get up when the sun is up and go out and work in the fields. There are days when he is tired. There's days when it's difficult. And yet, don't you know that living love, true love, always requires an action. It's not merely what you say to someone. This is why, listen, young people, I just need to say this to you. You are going to have someone or someone's come up to you, and young ladies, you're going to have some hairy-legged guy who's got like three little hairs growing here, and he thinks he's a man because he's got his mustache. It's not, okay? And he's going to say to you, I love you, baby. And he's going to say things to you, but you need to know, unless he is willing to demonstrate it by treating you with respect, by showing that his boundaries are at least as narrow as your boundaries are, then he does not love you. Don't you dare give them a time of day. By the way, any parents in here want to give an amen to that one? So here's the reality. It is more than words. It is action. So love is for someone and it takes some work. But the other thing is, notice it takes time. This this blows my mind. I'll work for you for how many years, church? Seven years. And let's just talk numbers for a moment here. In the ancient world, if you were going to marry a young lady, you would pay for the right to marry marry her. And the typical price was 30 to 40 shekels of silver. Now, a shekel was about one month's work, one and a half maybe. And so someone who's working real hard, they'd get a shekel, maybe even a shekel and a half for that one month. So to get Rachel typically would be about 20 months worth of work. But... When he's asked, what will you give me? Or how do you want to do this? Jacob does not push. He does not fight this hard bargain. Like, you know, she's not really a 30 shekel girl. She's more like a 20 shekel girl, Laban. He doesn't do that. He says, I tell you what, I'm not going to work for 20 months. I will work for seven years. I will work for her for more than three, almost four times as much as the typical woman is worth. Guys, this is a great moment to lean back over to your wife and say, I'd work for seven years for you, sweetheart. So if you need that, go for it. But don't you know that love is not a momentary emotion. It is an intentional, ongoing action. 
It is easy to tell someone I love you. It's even easy to show it ever so slightly for a moment. But love is not just a momentary action. It is an ongoing, intentional action. I was thinking about it this week when I was thinking about different people and how we show love different ways. Maybe how we work it different or how we show it in different ways. There are two women in our church that I think are so wonderful when it comes to how they show love, but they show it differently. Um, I think about my friend, Miss Jackie Maxwell. How many of you know Miss Jackie in the church here? She's just a sweet lady. Jackie is a note writer. And I love, love, love the notes she sends because she doesn't just like get a card and write in it. Jackie will hand make her cards. They are beautiful. They're like little pieces of art. And then she is a she is a verbal artist because she then puts in written form these words. And it's just, it's so poetic and so encouraging. And she's so specific with what she says. Hey, I'm praying for you or you're doing good here or whatever it may be. Or, you know, for some, it may be, hey, you're, you've just got a good personality. And we all know what that really means. And so, but she's an encourager with her notes. And then I think about another woman in our church, Miss Jenny Dunn, who is not here this morning. I think she's still getting over being sick. But Miss Jenny, before my family moved to Clear Creek, after the announcement was made that we were moving to Chattanooga, I received in the mail a package. And I opened this package up, and it had coloring books for our kids, it had crayons for our kids, it had little things for our children, because she knew that the move is going to be just a change for them. And so she's not writing these long notes, she's sending gifts, and she is a gift giver. The number of gifts we've received from Jenny, maybe it's cookies, maybe it's, you know, little cards and other things or whatever it is, but here's the thing, what you need to know is that love is cheap if it's only a word, there is an action required, and it takes time. This is why, listen, if you're newly married, don't give up, it takes time. You put two sinners in the same house and watch them work together, there are going to be rough edges. But this is where God gives us the opportunity to demonstrate what loving well is like. And here's the cool thing. Notice this. Because there's someone, some work, some time. Notice this next verse. You see what it looks like to live well. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed only a few days because of his love for her. Notice this. He has seven years of hard labor, but to him they seemed like a few days. Why? Because he loved well. You may want to write this down. Loving well may not change your circumstances. Loving well may not change that you have to get up and go to work. Loving well may not change the fact that you've got dirty diapers to deal with. It may mean loving well may mean that you still have arguments to work through, that you have to say you're sorry that you have to look at the good and the other. Loving well may not change your circumstances, but loving well will change you. It may not change your circumstances, but loving well will change you in the circumstances. And you say, well, that's great. That's wonderful. Let's go ahead and say prayer. Let's, let's go ahead and be done with this. And we're all going to go beat the Baptists to lunch, and it's going to be great. And I know you're thinking that. But then there's some of you who are saying, yeah, yeah, this, this sounds good, but, but you don't know who I've been called to love. You, you don't know what has been done to me. And one of the challenges about Christmas is not the presents, it's not the decorations, it's not the festivities, it's the people that we spend time with or the people we are expected to spend time with. 
This time of year for some is a difficult and painful season because you're saying, yeah, loving well may not change circumstances, but you don't know how bad my circumstances are. And I would give anything if I didn't have to see that person, if I didn't have to deal with my ex, if I didn't have to deal with my parents' divorce, if I didn't have to deal with my wayward kid, if I didn't have to deal with you fill in the blank. See, this is so, so easy to say, but it is so, so hard to live. And here's one more thing to write down. It's hard to love well when you haven't been loved well, isn't it? It is hard to love well when you have not been loved well. Because most of us learned love from other people. We have received a definition of love and we have now been packaging it in the way that we live. I saw a video this week that I thought was just way too great that illustrates this what it means to receive love, and how we then say it back. So go ahead and turn your attention to the screen. I love you. Say, I love you. 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 There you go. I love you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> I love you. You say I love you? No. What? Did you just say no? Come on, some of us. It's because of who has said I love you, we've learned what love looks like. And yet some of us have also not heard I love you, we've just heard a lot of no's. So it is so hard to love well when you haven't been loved well. And so what do we do with that? Well, here's the good news. This story is not just about Jacob and Rachel. There's another person in this story named Leah. Now, let me just give you a real quick snapshot. Leah is the older sister. Now, in their culture, the older sister, the older child would be the one married first. But she has what the Bible says, weak eyes or tender eyes. We don't really know what that means. Some people think, well, maybe she literally had an eye problem. Perhaps her eyes were crossed. Or maybe she had a condition where her eyes sort of bugged out a little bit. Or or maybe, in their culture, some people think it just meant that she had really light eyes, maybe blue eyes. And in a culture that valued dark eyes, it would have been seen as kind of ugly. But whatever it was, she was not the pretty one. And so she is looked over. And when this man says, I'll choose one of your daughters, she thinks, I'm about to be married. And she is passed over. Now, seven years pass. And you can imagine all the years, all the prep work, everything that's gone into it, the invitations have gone out, the wedding day is approaching, and you get this sense of anticipation for the bride-to-be and the groom. And what's so sad is it's not just one, but two people, three people really get hurt in this process because as Rachel is in her tent, most likely getting ready, she's getting dressed, she's getting the veil on, her dad Laban comes in and says, no, you're not going to marry today, your older sister is going to marry in your place. And you think, wow, how painful to Rachel, and absolutely, but can you also imagine what it must have been like for Leah to know that the only way that she'd get a husband is if the guy was tricked into taking her? 
So she comes out, she's wearing her, her dress, but she's got this thick veil on, so Jacob really can't see. They go through the festivities, and they go into the tent that night. It's dark. And so they consummate the marriage, and things go south. Here's what happens. Look at this text. When morning came, there was Leah, and I love this. The scriptures put like an exclamation mark, like, when the morning came, there was Leah. But um, So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Can you imagine being Leah and hearing this man in your presence saying, I don't want this. What have you done to me? He goes on, it's not our custom here to give the youngest daughter in marriage before the older one, Laban said. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also. In return... For another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. So you have this story. It's a love story. He's going to work and it's like just a few days worth because he loves Rachel. But then he doesn't get Rachel. He gets Leah. And Leah doesn't get anything because the man who marries her doesn't want her. In fact, look at this next verse. This is heartbreaking to me. Jacob lay with Rachel also and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Look at this next one. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved. Now, by the way, that's a kind translation. More accurately, it says in the original language that when the Lord saw that Jacob hated Leah. And I don't know why he hated her. Maybe it's because she wasn't pretty. But, but my guess is it's probably not because of her appearance, but as a man, the pride that must have been wounded to be duped, to be made a fool, to be embarrassed. Whenever he looks at her, he sees his own embarrassment. And sometimes we lay on other people the feelings that we've been dealt. But whatever the reason, he doesn't love her. And so God gives her the chance to have kids. And this is one of those moments that is so heartbreaking because as you begin to read about these children, you begin to see that she is laying her hurt on other people. Because when we have been hurt, see, here's the problem. It is hard to love well when we have not been loved well. It is hard to show love when we have not received love. But notice this. So she starts to name her kids. Her first kid comes up. She named her first son Reuben. For she said, it is because the Lord has seen My, what's this word, church? Misery. Literally, the name Reuben means seen. So she's naming her child after her pain and her experience. And so she thinks, surely my husband will love me now. And so then she has a second child and she gave birth to him and she names him because the Lord heard that I am not loved. He gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Simeon means heard. And so whenever she hears his name, she's reminded and she's speaking the fact that what I received is hatred. I'm not loved. Every time I see you, little boy, that's what I'm going to think about. And then the third child comes along. And again, she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me. He doesn't love me. I know that. But maybe he'll just be attached to me. Maybe he will have some connection with me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi, which means attached. Can you imagine the pain that she must have felt and the way that the pain she felt was being felt through her children? Have you heard this phrase, hurt people hurt people? 
that when we have not received love well, we often don't know how to give love well. And often what we receive is what we give. And if you've heard a lot of no's and not a lot of I love you's, then the words that come from your mouth, the actions of your hands, the thoughts of your mind to others often is a reflection of what you feel like you've received as well. Because it's hard to love well when you haven't been loved well. Can you imagine being some of those little guys and their friends show up and they're like, hey, why, why are you named Herd? I mean, Reuben. What, what does that mean? Oh, well, my daddy doesn't like mom. And so whenever she sees me and hears me, she always thinks of how he kind of hates her. Wow. Or, or, you know, why is your name Levi? Oh, well, dad doesn't want to be around mom because she's got this weird bug eye, double eye thing going on. And, you know, so, so mom just named me attachment because she hopes maybe someday he'll be attached to me. Can you imagine this? So we talk about loving well, but it's hard to love well when you have not been loved well. So what do we do with this? Something happens, something happens. And I don't know what it is, church. Because at the end of verse 34, you get this note of hopelessness, but then verse 35, something has changed. And I don't know what it is, but I have a, I have a sneaking suspicion. You see, in verse 35, she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son this time, she said, I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Do you notice whose name is not in this sentence anywhere? Do you notice whose name is not even referenced or mentioned It's Jacob. In other words, there was this moment that came in her life where she said, my hope for love must not depend on this person. I cannot, I cannot and will not assume that he will give me what I need. And at some point she went from assuming that she could get love from someone and be satisfied by someone to saying it's by God, through God, for God. And so I will praise him. Now here's the cool news. All those years that Leah thought I was an ugly duckling, I was an unloved, uncared for nobody. What is so incredible, she does not know and did not know and could not know. But that son, Judah, is going to have a child who's going to have a child who's going to have a child who's going to have a child all the way down until you get to one person and they are the earthly parents of Jesus Christ. See, it wasn't through Rachel, the lovely one. It was through Leah, the unloved one, that God brought love in the flesh into the world. It was God who, through this woman, said, I will do a great thing. I love what Dr. Tim Keller says. He makes the point, says, you understand, if God is a king and if Jesus is royalty, then retroactively, what does that make? Leah. She is a daughter of the king. She is a princess. All her life she was told she was a nobody, that she was unloved, but something changed. And she gave praise to God. And God said, I want you to have what what I have for everyone. This passage, we've looked at it already twice this morning, but one last time. I want you to see why we have hope at Advent, because Advent is when love came in the flesh. And 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says this, We love church not because of what others have done, not because of what others are giving to us, but we love because He, God, first loved us. It's not because of what your spouse gives or doesn't that we love. It's not because of what your children give or don't. It's not because of what your parents or your coworkers or that uncle or that aunt or that friend. It is because God loves us 
Our worth comes from God and the love he gives. It goes on. Look at this. Verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from whom? Comes from whom, church? Comes from God. Everyone who loves. Meaning if you love, if it's real love where there's somebody and it takes some work and some time, everyone who really loves has been born of God, knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. See, their focus is on something else. Their experiences, a person, a situation. Because if they love, it's because God is love and they know that. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world as a baby who grew up as a man that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. You see, God is Leah. He is the one who is unloved but chose to love. He is the one who did not receive but continued to give. But that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Our love comes from someone who has already said, I love you no matter what. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. I've already given and it cannot be taken away. And so today, on the second week of Advent, we light the second candle, and we remember the second word of Advent, which is love. If you love well, you will live well. And as we light the Advent candle, we're going to dim the lights, and I want you to begin just to think with me for a moment here. See, the love candle, it means that God loves blank. What's the blank that you need to fill in this morning of God's love? For some in here, you may want to write the word, this candle symbolizes to me today that God loves, well, God loves Leah. God loves those who are lost. God loves those who are lonely. God loves those who are left out. God loves those who've been hurt. God loves those who are hurting. And God loves those who even currently hurt others, although that's not his good for you. Maybe today you just need to write the name Leah and know that God loves those who seem and feel so unlovable. Or maybe today you write the word Rachel because you just need to be reminded That just because someone else seems to have a charmed life, God loves that person as well. And we ought to love them even when things are going well, to celebrate their victories, to encourage them on. Or maybe this morning it's not Leah, and maybe it's not Rachel. Maybe this morning you just need to write the word, God loves Jacob. God loves all the people who've done us wrong, who are doing us wrong, or even those in the future who may do us wrong. And maybe this morning for us, some of us in here, you just think, well, Jacob would be my spouse. Maybe there's a situation happening in your home right now and you just feel constantly beaten down and beaten up and you say, God, why, why, why? You need to understand that although God does not want pain for you, God does love the Jacobs in this world. Or maybe it's not your spouse, maybe it's your ex and you're saying, I I feel such anger and such hurt in this time of year, it's so hard and if they had not, then this and I don't know. You need to know God even loves the exes. 
Or maybe for some, it's not that God loves those people. Maybe it's God loves your child who has wounded you and you had such dreams for your child, but your child has not lived the way that you prayed he or she would. And so now you're just going, God, help, help. You need to know that God has not given up on your child because God loves your child, church. Or maybe it's your parents. Or maybe it's your friend. I don't know who your Jacob is, but God loves Jacob. Or maybe this morning you just go, well, it's none of those people. Maybe it's not a Leah, it's not a Rachel, it's not a Jacob, but maybe you just need to write down a simple word, God loves me. Because you need to know, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. 